Hebrews um, 9, and we're going to actually uh, finish chapter 9 today, verse 27 and 28. But we're going to go back and read a couple of verses, and then we'll finish uh, verse 27 and 28. So we're actually going to start Hebrews 9, 24. Uh, we talked about this last week. Just want to highlight a couple of small things. Uh, Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood uh, that it is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all at the accumulation of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that they face judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the, the sins of many, and he will appear the second time without reference to sin, uh, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's read verse 27 and 28 together again, uh, so this way it can soak in our brain. Verse 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear, to bear the sins of many, and he will appear a second time without reference to sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen. Before we move on uh, with, uh, with verse 27 and 28, I'm going to ask you a pop quiz here. In this passage that we just read, verse 24 to 28, how many times we see that Jesus appeared or still appearing all will appear? If you count with me, you're going to find that there's three times in this passage the author of Hebrews mentioned the word appeared or to appear all will appear. <laughs> Let me see this. All right. Um, the first one is actually in verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true ones, but he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. That's present tense, right? To appear, present tense. Verse 25, uh, nor did he enter um, heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest entered the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared. That's past tense, right? He has appeared once for all at the accumulation of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it was destined for people to die once and after that, they will face judgment. So Christ offered um, once was offered once to, to bear the sins of many, and he will appear the second time. So you have the word appear in three tenses, right? You have the past, you have the present, and you have the future. In the past, Jesus has appeared to take away sin, right? In the present, he's now appearing before the presence of God for us. And in the future, he will appear to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen? So we're not going to talk about that. I just want to point this out because this is just so powerful. But let's just focus on verse 27 and verse 28. That's what I want to uh, focus on today. 
Verse 27 and 28 are linked by these words. Uh, the beginning of verse 27 say this, just as, and then verse 28 say, so Christ, right? So the idea here is that verse 27 and verse 28, they're linked together. The author of Hebrews is, is, is linking these two verses together to give us one thought. Just as people die and after that they face judgment, so Christ, in the same manner related to that, Christ also was offered once to bear the sins of many and he will appear the second time without reference to sin. Right? In verse 27, you see that the people go through two uh, chronological stages. Right? The first thing is that they die and after that they face judgment. Right? Christ also went to, through two chronological stages. He appeared in the past to take away sin, and then he will appear again without reference to sin to bring salvation to those who wait for him. You're with me? So these two verses are linked. What the author of Hebrews is telling us is this. Just like men go through two different stages, they die and then they face judgment. So Jesus also go through, went through or will go through two different stages. He appeared in the past to take care of sin and he will appear in the future for salvation. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. When Jesus appeared the first time to take care of sin, he solved the first problem that man goes through, which is to die. Right, And when Jesus will appear the second time without reference to sin to bring salvation, Jesus will solve the second stage that man will go through, which is to face judgment. You're with me? So that's how the author of Hebrews is linking these two verses together. Man go through two stages. Christ went through two stages. The first stage that Christ went through solved the first stage that man is going through. The second stage Christ will go through will solve the second problem or the second stage that man will go through, right? So let's look a little bit deeper into that. Verse 27, just as people were destined to die once and after that, judgment. The scripture actually tells us that there is a problem in that verse that needed to be solved through the first and the second appearance of Christ, right? What is this problem? The problem is actually threefold. Number one, we see in verse 27 that death has a threefold um, or three-aspect problem. Number one, it was appointed for how many men? For all men, right? Is there anyone who will ever escape that, escape death? No. Every single person in this world is destined, is appointed that they eventually gonna die. The first time we hear the word death in the scripture is actually in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Remember what happened there? God was commanding Adam and Eve, and he said, you're free to eat from all the trees in this garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you shall surely die. What happened? Adam and Eve ate. And death entered into that world because of the sin of Adam and Eve. So in an essence, death is the, the results, the consequences, the payment, the wages, the legal consequences of breaking the law of God, right? And that's why death is appointed for all men because every single person in this world has sinned against God. And because every person has sinned against God, then every single person is destined, is appointed that they also must die, right? 
It was appointed to all men to die. In Genesis chapter 5, we read the, the offspring, the list of the people that Adam had begotten, the, the, the offspring of Adam. And you see that these people ranged in their age from 777 years to 969 years. That's a lot of years. But guess what is the last phrase that describes each and every one of them? And he died. It says this person, he lived 700 years, had five kids, and then he lived two more hundred years, and then he died. Even the one who lived 969 years, he, he lived 500 years, had 20 kids, and then he lived four more hundred years, and then he died. Every single person in Genesis chapter 5, regardless of how long they lived, they all died because it is appointed for men to die. There's not a single person in this world who will escape that. But the problem also is not that death is, is a destiny that people cannot escape. The problem is death is final. The author of Hebrews said this, it was appointed for men to die how many times? Once. Once. That's it. That's all that you have. You have a shot at eternity before you die. And once you die, it is final. You cannot go back and try to be right with God, right? It was appointed for men to die once. It's one time deal. You're either right with God or you're not right with God. And that is one of the scariest things about death. If you're not right with God and you die, then guess what? There is no going back, right? You cannot go back and try to make yourself right with God. So death is appointed. Death is final. But the problem even worse, get worse and worse, is that death is that gate of punishment, right? It doesn't say that it was appointed for men to die once and then that's it. That's all that's going to happen, right? It says this, it was appointed for men to die once and after that, punishment. So it's not that death is just final and destined, but after that, it opens up through death. People are being opened up to the judgment and the punishment of God over their sins. This is a bad problem that we have, right? It's called death that entered because we sinned against God and we are destined to die, every one of us. We are going to die once. It's a final thing and there is no going back and then it opens up the gate for being punished by God if we're not right with him. Now, Jehovah Witness argued that everybody dies but only the righteous will be resurrected for, for rewards, but those who are not right with God, they're going to just vanish away from existence. But this verse surely tells us something else, right? It doesn't say that it was appointed for the righteous to die and after that the rewards, right? It says it was appointed for all men to die and after that the judgment, right? So it doesn't matter if you're good or bad, evil or, or, or not evil person, born again or not born again. Every person will die and every person will stand before God for judgment one day, whether you're right with God or you are not right with God, right? Obviously, if you're not right with God, you're going to stand to be condemned. But if you are right with God, you're going to stand to be rewarded, right? It is not that God on the day of judgment is going to try to evaluate your good works versus your bad works and then decide if you're going to go to heaven or not. This happens before you die. If you're right with God through Jesus, you're going to heaven. If you're not right with God through Jesus, then you're going to stand before God just for, to be condemned. Now, that's the problem we have. It's called death. 
that is appointed, that is final, that is the gate for punishment. Now, God has solved that problem for us through the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Amen? Let's talk about how the first coming of Christ took care of the problem of death. Remember what we said last week about Jesus in verse 26? That Jesus appeared once and for all at the accumulation of ages, at the accumulation of time, to do away with sin at the, by the sacrifice of himself, right? Do you remember what we said about the word do away with? What does it mean? We said this is more or less like a legal term, right? It talks about Jesus taking away the legal consequences of sinning against God and breaking the law of God, right? Remember, sin in, in, in its DNA is just a matter of legality when it comes to God. God is just. When you sin and break his law, you put yourself under the punishment of God. That, thus, death enters into this world. That, thus, every one of us must die because death is the punishment from God over our sins, right? But when Jesus came, he took away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He took away the legal power of sin, the legal authority of sin. Sin is no more, no longer, no more has any power legally over you and me. So you and me have broken the law of God, but Jesus has taken care of the legal consequences of breaking the law of God when he has become our substitute on the cross. Amen? Because he paid by himself in full the penalty of breaking the law of God, thus the legal consequences has been removed and now death which is the wages of sin can also be removed by the first appearance of Christ. Amen? So man has two problems. The first problem is death. The second problem is judgment. Jesus first coming has took care of that first problem which is death which is the legal penalty of breaking the law of God. Now it is very interesting. If you look through the scripture and try to figure out or look at the terminologies that the scripture used to describe the relationship between Jesus and his cross on one hand and what he has done to sin on the other hand. Let's look into that, okay? Let's look at how the scripture tells us how Jesus dealt with sin. The first way we see how Jesus dealt with sin is obviously, obviously verse 26 that we just spoke about last week, right? Jesus took the legal consequences of breaking the law of God of sin, right? The second terminology that the scripture uses to tell us how Jesus dealt with sin on the cross is Hebrews 9.28. We just read that today. It says this, Hebrews 9.28. So Christ was offered once to do what? To bear that sins, right? In verse 26, we see that Jesus took away the sin. Here in verse 28, we see that Jesus bore the sin. He carried the sin upon himself. The same idea, we read it again in 1 Peter 2.24. Here is what Peter said. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his stripes we are healed. The idea that Jesus bore the sins, he carried it away, is implying that Jesus took upon himself the punishment of sin. The heavy weight of the punishment that sin can produce, Jesus took that upon himself. He bore it, he carried it, therefore you and I don't have to carry it anymore. Amen? 
that reminds us of 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 what um, of what Isaiah 53 said about Jesus, right? Isaiah 53:11 that the servant of of God, Jesus, will bear the sins of those who have sinned against God. That's Isaiah 53:11, right? We also have seen that in the day of atonement. If you remember, you remember that was two goats. One of them, the high priest will slaughter and take their, its blood to enter into the Holy of Holies. And then the second goat is called the goat of Azazel. What they do is they, the high priest will put his hand on that goat, confess all the sins of the people, and then he release that goat into the wilderness, right? Leviticus 16. And by doing that, it's, it's symbolic that this goat is carrying away, is bearing all the sins of the people and just take it away once and for all into the wilderness and the people don't have to deal with it anymore. That's what Jesus did. Number one, he took, take care, took care of the legal consequences of breaking the law of God, right? He take away sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. But number two, he bore sin upon himself. He carried the weight of sin and the wages of sin on himself. The third terminology that we see in the scripture that describes what Jesus has done to sin when he died on the cross is we find that in John 1.29. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word take away here is in Greek is a little bit different than the words that the author of Hebrews used. The Greek word here is ireo. Anybody knows where we get any English word from that? Ireo. Air. That's where we get the word air from, right? That's the Greek word here is ireo. That's where we get the Greek word air. Literally means somebody who's carrying a heavy weight and then somebody else come and take that weight off and now there is no more heaviness on that person anymore. It's kind of like you start carrying air. It's becoming very light. You guys are with me? And that's what Jesus has done to sin. He took it away. He took the burden. He took the weight of your shoulder and my shoulder. That's what the author, that's what John is saying here, John the Baptist is telling us about Jesus. The idea here is not related to the atonement. It's related to how sin is a burden to you and me and how Jesus has carried that, lifted up our burden. Literally, that's what it says. Lifted up the burden that we were suffering under. Amen? The same idea, we see it again in 1 John 3, 5, that Jesus was manifested to take away sin. It's the exact same Greek word, ireo. That means Jesus has lifted up the burden of sin from the life of those who trust in him. Amen? So Jesus so far did three things, right? Number one, he took care of the legal consequences of sin when he died on the cross. Number two, he bore sin when he died on the cross. He carried it up. Number three, he lifted the burden of sin, the weight of sin of our shoulders when he died on our behalf on the cross. Amen? The, the fourth now is that Jesus has condemned sin on the cross. We read that in, in Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he did what? He condemned sin in the flesh. The idea here is that Jesus has judged condemned sin on his death on the cross. Amen? Let me use an analogy to tell you what that means. <laughs> Imagine that you start hearing that 
there is a lot of breaks in, in your subdivision. Every other house where you live start being breaking into, and a lot of stuff is being stolen. Now you start getting nervous, right? Because you know you can be next. Your house can be broken into that very night, right? Because every other house in your neighborhood is being broken into, and that starts creating that an anxiety and anxious inside of you that there is somebody out there that might be coming for you, right? Now imagine that you hear in the news that the cops, the police, has captured that person and they have locked him up in jail for God knows how long. Won't you be relieved? Right? Because you know that this evil person who's coming after you, who can come after you any day now, has been uh, condemned, right? Has been judged. And because he has been condemned, you can now be in peace because he's not coming after you anymore. Amen? And that's precisely what Jesus has done to sin on the cross. He judged it. He condemned it once and for all. Now we don't have to worry about it anymore because now sin has been done away with. Amen? So Jesus took care of the legal consequences of sin. Jesus bore sin on the cross. Jesus lifted the burden of sin off our shoulders on the cross. And Jesus condemned sin on the cross. Number five, Jesus kind of like finished the business of sin at the cross. And we read that in Daniel 9.24. This is a prophecy about the children of Israel and the nation of Israel. And it says this. Seventy weeks have been uh, decreed for your people and your holy city to finish, to finish or uh, restrain. I'm sorry, to finish or restrain the transgression. Here is what is going to happen after the seventy years: to finish or restrain the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring the everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. I might have not quoted this right, but pretty much what Daniel was saying in the context is this. After this 70 years, the Messiah will come and he will die. And as the result that the Messiah will die, here is what's going to happen. He will finish and restrain transgression. He'll make an end of sin and he will make an atonement for the iniquity. If you go back and read it in the context, that's what it says, right? So this, what, what Daniel was telling us here, is going to happen when the Messiah will be cut off. That's the exact word that Daniel has used. When Jesus will die, when he is going to be cut off on the cross, the result of that, there will be an end to the transgression. He will make an end of sin and atonement for uh, for iniquity. In other words, what Daniel was prophesying that when the Messiah comes and he dies, he will be cut off. Then he will finish all the problem and the business of sin. You don't have to worry about it anymore because Jesus will bring it to an end. Amen. Now, the last word or description in the Bible that tells us how Jesus dealt with sin on the cross, we read that in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that Jesus has become sin for us on the cross. See, he condemned sin, he took away sin, like the legal consequences of sin, he bore sin, and then he uh, finished sin, and he lifted the burden of sin, and number six, I think now, he became sin on the cross for us. And that's the sixth and uh, the last one I could find that describe in the scripture the relationship between what Jesus and his death on the cross did to sin on the other hand. Jesus and his death on one hand and sin on the other hand. I just love how um, I think one of the commentators um, wrote that. Let me try to find the exact wording here. 
Jesus has become sin, not a sin offering. This is what one of the commentators said, and this is just so powerful. Remember that context? The, the words say this in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21. They say that we are ambassadors for Christ. We plead with people, be reconciled with God, for he has made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Right? So he became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. So Jesus has become sin. Here's what the commentator said. Not a sin offering which could destroy the antithesis of righteousness. If Jesus took our very nature, the very nature of sin, not just becoming a sin, uh, a sin offering for us, and would make sin be used in different senses in the same uh, sentence. Not a sinful person, so he did not become a sin offering, he did not become a sinful person, which would be untrue and would require in the antithesis righteous men. You guys follow me? It's, he's saying that the, the, the verse here contrasts sin with righteousness. It doesn't contrast sin offering with righteousness. It doesn't contrast sinful man. Jesus did not become sinful man, right? Because the, the verse would have said that we have become righteous men. But it says righteousness, so that means it's the word sin. Jesus has become sin, not um, uh, the antithesis is righteous man, not righteousness. But Jesus has become sin. That is uh, the representative sin bearer of the aggregate sin of all men, past, present, and future. The sin of the world is one, therefore the singular, not the plural, is used. Though it is, so its manifestations are manifold. Behold, the Lamb of God will take away the sin of the world. So Jesus did not become a sinful man for us. He did not become a sinful offering for us. He became sin for us so that his very righteous nature can be imputed for us. You guys are with me? So what is the words that the scripture says to describe what Jesus has done on the cross to sin? Number one, let's see who remembers. Number one, he took care of the legal consequences of sin. Number two, he bore sin on the cross. Number three, he lifted up the burden of sin on the cross. Number four, right? Four, he condemned sin. He judged sin on the cross. Number six, he, that's five, he brought it to an end on the cross. And number six, he became sin himself for us on the cross. Amen? Now, I don't know about you. That's, that take care of the problem of sin, right? Just as it was appointed for man to die once, Jesus has appeared at the end of the age, and by his appearance and death on the cross, he took care of the problem that caused you and I to die. And that problem, sin, has been taken care of because of the death of Christ on the cross. Amen? But the problem is, once men die, they go to the second stage, which is a judgment. But Jesus, who also came once and appeared once, will appear the second time to take care of the second stage of our problem, which is, which is judgment. It says this, Jesus will appear the second time, not in reference to sin. When Jesus comes back, there is nothing about his second coming has to do with sin. Nothing, right? He will appear back, nothing to do with sin, not, not uh, in reference to sin, but to bring uh, salvation to those who are waiting for him. How about those who are not waiting for him? There will be judgment. But how about those who trust in Christ and put their faith in Christ? There is no judgment waiting for them. There is a 
salvation waiting for them. So by Jesus appearing the second time, he'll take care of the second stage that we're going to go through. Amen? Because by appearing the second time, Jesus will take once and for all out of the picture any possibility of judgment for those who eagerly wait for his coming. Because when Jesus comes the second time, he's not going to come back for judgment for those who know him and love him. He's going to come back to bring eternal salvation to those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen? Two stages man's go through. Death and after that, judgment. Jesus also appeared twice. The first time to take, a, to take care of the problem of sin and death, which is the consequences of sin. And then the second time he will appear to solve the problem of judgment that is waiting for you and me if we're not right with God. Amen? Let me just close with this thought and then we'll pray. Verse, seven, uh, verse 27, it says this, Just as how many people? All people are destined to die once. But how about verse 28, at the very end of it? It says this, Jesus will appear the second time without reference to sin, but to bring salvation to all men. All men or not all men? To only those who are waiting for him. You follow me? Right. So even though death is appointed for all men, because every single person has sinned against God, even though every single person will be judged by God and condemned by God, yet the salvation that Christ will bring, he's not going to bring that to all men. He's going to bring that to only those who are waiting for him. Only a group of people will receive that salvation that Christ provides. Why? Because the rest of the people will say no to Jesus. They don't want to do anything to do with him. They'd rather solve the problem of sin themselves. They're going to try and keep trying. And then at the end of the day, not going to work out for them. Amen? It's only those who believe, only those who receive, only those who trust in the sufficiency of what Christ has done for them on his first appearance. Only those we are eagerly waiting for his second coming where they're going to receive the gift of salvation. And they're not going to pass through condemnation. Amen? Let's close by reading these two verses together. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and he will appear the second time without reference to sin to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.